With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Episode 121, I believe, of Below the Belt. Um, joined today by Paul Zanon. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Fighting fit and chomping at the bit. Thanks for having me on. I've just seen your scar. Uh, I've just seen your scar, so I can see you're traveling quite well from your from your uh, hip surgery. Uh, how are you feeling? You feeling good? Yeah, feeling good, mate. Feeling good. Um, God bless the NHS and uh, and my surgeon as well. Um, done an incredible job. It's not even six weeks, and uh, I'm putting in the miles and um, no pain. So uh, yeah, if anyone out there is deliberating about whether or not to have hip surgery and you're, you're walking around all wonky and overcompensating the other side of your body, put your name down, get it done. Honestly, best thing I've ever had. And I'm not a thousand years old. I'm 49, you know, so and I've been suffering for about a good 15, which I'd done it years ago. Best decision I've ever made. So uh, yeah, I'm good, mate. I am really good. I think I'll be ready for the pole vault and 400 meter hurdles by the end of the month. Easy. I, and you did say just before we started recording as well that you were ready for, if anyone wants any sparring, anyone at middleweight, super middle... <laughs> Anyone needs any sparring pools available? You know, the hip's turning over nicely now. Uh, you feeling good? Ready for some sparring? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kind of more sort of virtual than anything else, you know. Anyone up for a bit of computer? I think uh, Cal missed the word there. Computer sparring, yeah. So I'm up for that. Yeah, you know, uh, all formats, you know, uh, PS3s, whatever, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm down with it, you know. <laughs> well, that was the last time we got a boxing game was when the PS3 was out. It was so long ago. Um, but that's, that's another topic for another time. Um... So we just this weekend uh, we had the David Evanesian main event. Obviously, the Chris Eubank Jr. fight fell out of bed right at the very, very last minute. Um, how did you feel about that whole thing with the card? Was it any anything that the promoters could have done differently? Do you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, whenever um, 
Chris Eubank Jr. pops up on the timeline on Twitter, it doesn't take long for um, uh, for Liam Williams to suddenly pop up and say, hello, do you want to have a little chat? And he would he would have turned up on the same day. And Liam, Liam's not, he walks around pretty much near weight all the time, you know, he's as fit as hell. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd have loved to have seen him stepping in at last minute. And I'm sure he would have given Eubank a, a good fight. But um, yeah, it's a shame. Uh, you know, it was, it was a couple of times uh, that um, Eubank kind of got let down there. And um, when he was commentating on the... Uh, the Joshua Usyk fight, you could see he was, you know, chomping at a bit to want to get in the ring, and you know he's he's dying to get in there and uh, and uh, and break a sweat again. So, um, but yeah, I felt, I felt a little bit sorry for him. But in the same breath, I, I think there probably were fighters out there they could have got if they really wanted to, but uh, it didn't happen. But um, but hey, um, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, David Avanesian um, produced the goods, and uh, that was the. The highlight fight and now all you know all lights on him um you know well that'd been funny but um whoever chris eubank was fighting i don't even remember the insignificant names that were being thrown around there but it certainly wasn't going to be uh going for a world title at any point soon whereas uh Avanesian certainly will be yeah you'd like to think so you look at a guy like Avanesian, you know he um you know defended his european title won it you know con- um retained it in two rounds um you know against liam taylor who's who's no mug what was he 23 and one going into the fight um so you know he's defended his title traditionally and i've said this before on the pod the ebu title always used to get you a wbc title shot it would always get you pretty close uh, i remember was it albert salsonowski who got a fight with vitali klitschko after winning the european title yep. uh skelton i think skelton after he won the european title got a wba title fight um so normally when you win that European, it gets you to a world title fight. Um, I don't think Evanesian's ranked that high, but Evanesian for me is a classic, classic kind of reason why we have mandatory challengers because he's a fighter that no one's going to want to fight. I think it's pretty obvious that Conor Ben doesn't want to fight him um, because at one point they was on fighting on same cards and all of that sort of stuff. But... Conor Ben's never mentioned him. He's talking about Adrian Broner and Amir Khan. Like, come on. Um, and so a guy like David Evanesian has to be a mandatory to get a big fight because no one will want to fight him otherwise. Um, what did you think of his performance and like his kind of prospects going forward? Yeah, I mean, he's calling out Ugas now and, uh, and I think he's, he's warranted that call out, to be honest. Um, mm. I think it could be a good fight. Uh, you know, Ugas is no spring chicken. Uh, I mean, Essien uh, works kind of in one gear, and that's forward, and uh, and it, it, he goes straight in at a high gear. You know, he doesn't work through them. He's uh, a very, very tough guy. Um, I mean, when he fought against Herman uh, Lejaraga, uh, tough, tough fighter, and uh, you know he was unbeaten at the time. He was twenty-seven and zero, and um, he'd been dishing out some serious beatings to people, and he beat them bat to bat. So just in case people are wondering, you know, when he won the European title against him, um, what sort of fighter he was, you know, Giraga was a very, very good fighter. And then he, he fights him again, just to sort of, you know, um, clear the debate six months later and uh, stops him in the first round. So, uh, yeah, I think Evanesson is, is, is tough as old boots. I think um, he's one of those guys that it's it's going to take something to, to actually sort of stop him in his tracks. He's, uh, he's only ever been stopped once, I think, in his entire career. But uh, he seems to be maturing more and more. Um, he's 33 now. He's kind of growing into that sort of uh, his, his matured um, boxer man strength at the moment. He looks in great condition. 
Um, Carl Grease seems to be doing a great job with him. Um, he deserves that shot, and I hope that the Ugas fight does come, and uh, it, would, it would be a bit of a you know, a rocky story there, you know, he's kind of almost a forgotten fighter to an extent, and um, how many more prospects does he need to beat, you know, in the, in the likes of sort of Josh Kelly, good fighters, Josh Kelly, Liam Taylor, etc., and uh, Nezaraga, before people start saying, well, let's give this guy a genuine shot at the title, I'm not talking Mickey Mouse, I'm talking, you know, the, the likes of a Ugas, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely, he's, you know, at the end, uh, during the last rankings, the WBA had him at number 12. Maybe he'll jump up a couple of rankings now. And the WBO have him at number six. So that might be the way for him to go. But he he is a classic case of a guy that needs to get himself into a mandatory position because otherwise I just don't think anybody's going to want to go near him because he doesn't sell a ticket and he's dangerous. He's dangerous as fuck. So why, why would anybody want to fight him, you know, um, if there's yeah. no money in it, you know. Um, but you know, we shall see. We shall see. Um Good to see uh, Richard Riakpore back as well, uh, back on the card. He hadn't boxed in a couple of years. I didn't see it. I got there I got there about 8 p.m. to Wembley Arena. I went with uh, Felonius, and um, I got there a little late. And so by the time we got there, he'd already boxed. He won an eight-round decision. Did you Did you see Did you see him box, uh, Paul? I saw, I saw the fight. I saw the fight. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought there was a little bit of ring rust in there. I uh, mm -hmm. thought that um, the, the, the version of him from a couple of years ago, because we were actually mentioning a few podcasts back when we were like, where is Richard Riapore? Someone find this man. And because, um, mm -hmm. you know, Steve, the only person to put a blemish on uh, Chris Bidham Smith's um, record, and, you know, Chris is a good fighter. Um, so it's it really good to see him back, really good. Um, I think he might need another fight or two um, tune up wise to, uh, to get him mm -hmm. back to where he was. Um, but mm -hmm. I thought it was, a, you know, it was certainly a great homecoming fight. Um, I, I, I think that before he was on the trajectory to sort of say uh, European and then possibly sort of, you know, climbing up to somewhere, some sort of a Mickey Mouse interim world strap that he could go for. Um, mm. he, he's away away from fighting the likes of um, uh, quite a, a Coley. Um, mm. But uh, if, he, if he's able to, to produce a couple of vintage uh, Riapore style wins, then um, hey, you never know, but I'm glad to see him back on the circuit. Very glad. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, you you know, he's got stoppage wins over Chris Billum Smith and Tommy McCarthy. You've just had a pretty decent fight for the European title. He might be one of those that you know the board orders orders a, a fight, you know, a rematch of sorts between you know um, him and you know Chris Billum Smith for the British title, and that might that might get him back into the mix again. Really, you know, uh, because. At the minute, domestically, he's kind of on the outside looking in, but hopefully, you know, because he, he kind of warrants it, really, doesn't he? Like you said, maybe another fight or two in quick succession, you know, before, you know, before March, April of next year. If we can get a couple in before March, then then we can hopefully see him in with Chris Billum Smith in a rematch or Tommy McCarthy in a rematch or whatever, whatever there is out there for him. But, yeah, definitely uh, good to see him back. Um but obviously this weekend it's there's a lot going on this weekend but i thought it'd only be right uh to talk about talk about what happened a couple of weeks ago we've already done a podcast about it but i think because you picked the correct winner i think it's only right that you kind of have your opinion on it it was such a big fight and such a big such a big event and such a big story that i don't think that people will mind if we talk about it again and it's obviously anthony joshua losing his heavyweight titles to alexander usik um you picked usik didn't you um how confident was you in that pick going on the night itself 
Yeah, I, 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 I still was. I mean, I, I've been picking Usyk on points uh, for uh, for a few weeks, and um, mm. uh, a lot of people are sort of saying to me, "Oh, you know, he's going to get smashed." You know, a bit, a, a good big and beats a uh, a good small etc. But um, that the, the big and wasn't as good as the small and. As simple as that. And um, I think what so he certainly played into uh, into Usyk's favour was that um, Joshua looked very gun shy. He just did not want to let the hammer go. And uh, when your biggest advantage in that fight is your power and your size, and you're trying to box, you don't try and box a boxer who's smaller than you. Is he's going to run circles around you? And that's exactly what happened. And within about the first fifteen seconds, Usyk did a little sidestep and landed the uh, the straight left. And I was like. Oh, this is we could potentially see a stoppage here, and um, oh yeah, I, I, honestly, I thought Usyk would box exactly the way he did, uh, but I didn't think that Joshua would be as static as he was. I know he's like you know he, he fights in straight lines and uh, and that's it, but um, w- when he fought against Ruiz, uh, he did a bit more jab and grab, which seems to work for him, and uh, and I thought he might sort of do that, which. The reason I say that that might have worked for him is because at least it allows him to unleash the one-two and then hold on, etc. But he was trying to work on sort of single shots or or single counters, and he just seemed out of sorts. And in the meantime, Usyk's having a field day, banging in left, right, and centre, whatever he wanted. And um, people that were saying that Usyk was going to get knocked out, well, one little statistic to embrace going in there is that in over three hundred fights as an amateur and uh, and his entire professional career in cruiser. And um, and heavyweight as, as a professional boxer is that he's never been stopped. He only had one TKO loss in his entire career, but he's never been stopped. So people are saying that Joshua was going to spark him out. I, I just never saw it. So um, it's not a case of you know I told you so to anybody. You know it, it was never a hundred percent to uh, to Usyk and zero to uh, to Joshua. But um, I, I was I was fairly confident when we did the podcast. And I was fairly confident in the night. And like I said, after that fifteen seconds of the opening round where he landed that straight left, um, mm. you know, square onto uh, to Anthony Joshua's face. I thought, oh, I think the, uh, this could be it for the, uh, for the rest of the fight. And it pretty much was. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. In, I think, yeah, I think perhaps some people, it's one of those things, you know, the, the, the longer I build up to a fight, the more we start to overthink things sometimes. Um, and I think people were, were thinking about Usyk's age, the injuries that he's had. I know he's had some shoulder issues. And I think people started to overthink it a bit. And Carl Froch actually said something quite interesting. Uh, he looked like he had a good time uh, <laughs> at the fight. There were some funny videos of him doing the rounds. He looked uh, he looked in good form. Um, but uh, he he said, you don't, you don't box a boxer. You fight a boxer and you box a fighter. Uh, if someone's a better, someone's more of a fighter than you, you box them. And if someone's better boxer than you, you fight them. You make it tough for them. And Joshua didn't do that. He was just like you said, just too static. Um, didn't didn't really use his side. The, everyone everyone always uses the phrase size and strength. Joshua didn't even look like the stronger man in there. It didn't even look like when there was in the clinch, which there wasn't many, but when they did have a clinch. Usyk was kind of moving him a bit. Like there wasn't, it wasn't like Joshua's size translated into strength. You know, um, not sure that he was particularly the the, the stronger man in there. But um, Usyk, I think we have to just, you know, I'm always, I think it's really, really important that that we don't focus too much on the A side or the star or you know the the British guy. It's we just have to give Alexander Usyk his flowers and 
say that it was a brilliant performance that he thoroughly deserved to win probably won eight rounds maybe even nine um just yeah fair play to him how did you have it like score wise on the night yeah i actually had it eight rounds to him and uh, and to be honest there was a there was a very strong case for nine in fact um and i've looked at the last round um the last sort of 10 seconds and it, it, from what i can see and i've seen i've played it a few times but it generally looks like they the, the clock was stopped five seconds early before the end of the round and uh, in another country with another referee um that unanswered barrage and admittedly joshua was slipping a lot of the punches but a couple did land in flush but but another referee um that could have easily been stopped in that last 15 odd seconds and um the last you know the, what looked like an early stop of the clock as well i don't know if that was to sort of retain joshua's dignity but um yeah, it, it was it was a one-sided fight without a doubt. You know, jo Joshua was never in it. Mm. Yeah, that's and that's that's the other thing. Really. I don't know. There was some talk around because you have the DAZN clock and then you have the official clock, which the British board or the timekeeper keeps. Sometimes there's a bit of disparity between disparity between those two. Um, so that may have happened. I'm not sure. I've not looked looked back at it. Um, but how? You know, obviously Usyk's performance was brilliant, and he's going to be a favourite going into a rematch. Uh, and I think he'd probably be a you know a favourite going into every fight, but Fury. Um, but how damaging do you think this is for Joshua? Because if you think about his first loss to uh, um, Andy Ruiz, he got clipped with a shot on the side of the head, and he never really recovered. This wasn't that. This was a this was a complete outboxing, and towards the end, a kind of a sustained beating. How? How damaging do you think this could be to Joshua? Mentally, more than anything, is is where it's at. Um, so, yeah, if you Joshua's uh, Joshua at the moment, you know, he always does that thing straight away of saying, "I'm gonna come back. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm healthy." Uh, you know, next challenge, etc. And you know, bring it on. And you know, I'll fight Fury for belts, no belts, etc. But in his mind, he'd be thinking, "Okay, I, I beat." Andy Ruiz during the rematch, but I beat a sort of 29 stone version of him. I know it wasn't 29 stone, but, you know, it was, it was certainly about 21 and a bit, you know, beat a fat-ass version. But by the way, Andy Ruiz has had some ink done, yo. Have you seen that? Yes, uh, he's had like a back yes. um, done. He, he's, he's running out of uh, natural space there to be able to put anything but um, but ink there. So uh, fair play to the to the Ruiz Jr. Um, mm. But if, if he thinks about that and says, okay, well, I beat Ruiz Jr. in the rematch, but he was a much larger version and you know all i did was basically sort of move around a little bit more and that sort of saved me with Usyk, um he'd be thinking what can i do different my first thought would be and we mentioned this in the last podcast i was on with that one size of his entourage he's got about 50 people in it and uh, it needs to start streamlining that down all the hangers on you know he's got someone who probably holds a sponge the other one that squeezes it another one that refills it with water it's you know cut down the supply chain it's almost like um rocky three here you know we need to get apollo creed they're getting back to the old school and get that eye of the tiger again so um there was i think yesterday tyson fury was saying about how um he'd love to train um anthony joshua along with sugar hill and uh, and uh, and make him um, good enough to be able to, to beat Usyk and he reckons he, he, he could well I don't think that unlikely partnership's ever going to happen because uh, all they've you know T Tyson Fury's ever done is slag off um, AJ and all of a sudden he's saying he wants to train him uh, AJ's it's hardly a, a great template for um for for AJ to want to walk into but but I genuinely believe that in order for AJ to to beat Usyk 
He's going to need to go in there from the get-go to think, right, I need to absolutely run over this guy. If I get knocked out, I get knocked out, but I need to go in there and smash the shit out of this guy. I'm 17, 18 stone. I'm tough as hell. If I throw my punches the full length they're supposed to be thrown, try and cut down the ring on this guy, whatever it is I need to do, then I'm in with a chance. And um, and there is a possibility he can do that. You know, in, in his earlier fights when he used to let his hands go, you know, AJ was destructive because he carries a lot of power. It's just more a case with Usyk is that he's as slippery as oil. And are you going to be able to hold him in one place long enough to do that? Who knows at this point? If I had to put money on it, I'd have to say it'd be a repeat performance with possibly Usyk even stopping him. But um, one thing for sure, he needs to get his mind in the right place. And I think that having less people barking around him is certainly going to help with that. Um, how he does that, whether he decides to do that, I don't know, but I certainly think that's a factor. Shrink the camp, AJ. Come back, win it. Let yeah. the hands go. That's the that's mm. the uh, that's the protocol. Couple of just yeah, there's a a lot to talk about there. But there's a couple of things I wanted to ask. Actually, you said about the size of the entourage and the camp, and I I agree. Uh, I just just it's just a load of your mates standing around in matching t-shirts and matching caps. It's just like you don't need it. You just you don't need all of that. You know, I know he's a big name and you want to have some people from for crowd control and stuff like that. If you're, you know, if you're out and about, then you want to have some bods there just to keep people away, wanting selfies and stuff like that. I kind of get it. But when you're in camp, you're in camp and you kind of need to be focused on one on the task at hand. And especially when you're going in against elite fighters like, you know, like Alexander Usyk. Um I'm just think, just thinking about you know the thing is with with Joshua is he wants to fight everybody. I don't think he's. Uh, I'm not sure Matram wanted to make the Wilder fight. I I don't think Wilder was really at the front of their minds when that fight was really there to be made. Joshua wouldn't really talk about him. He it was it was kind of an odd situation with Wilder. Um, but I think Joshua genuinely will fight anybody, including Wilder, including Fury, anybody. Um, and I think that's admirable. Um, but for me, I didn't. I didn't watch loads of the post-fight stuff, but Joshua almost doesn't seem gutted about losing fights, particularly this one. He didn't seem like really devastated. You think about fighters, and when they've lost fights, you think about Ricky Hatton when he lost to Mayweather. Um, you know, if you got Carl Froch when he lost to Ward, they were gutted. And you just don't get that from Joshua. It's just all these kind of David Brent-style quotes and. He just seems, oh, well, maybe it's because, well, I've got a rematch. I'll make it right and then rematch. But he just, I think he's, it's almost like, and I think I saw it was uh, Stephen Bredman Edwards, the trainer for um, J-Rock, for Julian Williams over in America. And he said, he said something like he's, he's almost, he doesn't mind losing. Do you think that's the case? Do you, do you get that impression from Josh, uh, from Joshua? No, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to blame this on his entourage. So um, I'm not going to mention the name, but one of his key, um, entourage members of staff on the payroll the day after um, AJ lost he puts out this tweet saying something like uh, not all champions need to wear a belt so it's kind of like doing that thing of you know so let's play on the word champion and you know we're sort of championing a cause we or something or you know be a champion of uh, humility integrity no we're, you're in the boxing trade a champion here is defined by who's holding the belts. Stop all the bullshit. Don't sort of say, oh, you know, you're, you're a champion uh, is, is someone who's a nice guy. No, we're, we're all fucking champions then. You know what I mean? This was a fight. They were fighting for belts. It was to be the unified champion. AJ lost. 
he's no longer the champion. Accept it. Don't come out with a bullshit comment to try and get a bit of traction out there. Sort of say, oh, yeah, you know, poor AJ lost. But, yeah, he's still a champion. We all love you. Except he's the people's champion. You know, um, any more pe any more cliches and bullshit we can come out with. You want to be the champion? You go in there, you win the belt. You don't. You bow down, you say, I'm no longer the champion. But I can come back. I want to be the champion again. That's the hunger that's needed in there. Not to say, oh, well, I'll fight Tyson Fury. It doesn't matter if it's belts or not, etc. Well, I'm telling you now, Tyson Fury ain't going to be fighting for, for no belts. The, the man signed up to what is a $100 million deal with um, with Bob Arum for, for, was it, three or four fights. He ain't going to be fighting for no uh, for no peanuts, you know. And uh, if he does fight against uh, AJ, there's got to be something on the line. There's got to be either mega bucks on the line. Um, and if, if the other thing as well, we, we did mention uh, a few podcasts back, was that although... Tyson Fury is the, uh, the, the, the obvious betting favourite going into the fight this weekend. Um, but we did say that it could be Usyk Wilder coming out the other end of these two battles. And, uh, you know, I, I would say at the moment, Deontay Wilder seems like the less confident mentally of the two. Seems in great shape physically. Um, Tyson Fury looks in great shape on both counts, uh, mentally and physically. But on the night, as we know, someone that throws the amount of power that Deontay Wilder does and it lands on the chin, it can change a fight in a heartbeat. So, uh, but um, yeah, so, so, so the point being, um, you could end up with Tyson Fury and AJ who might want to fight each other because neither one of them do have belts. And then they're back to that thing of, well, we'll just fight for the hell of fighting sort of thing. Why it's not? It'd be for the hell of fighting for a shitload of money. But um, in terms of... Um, Whoever wins between Wilder and Fury this weekend, like I said, you know, I, I'm going to say that Fury is going to do the same again. Um, but there is a possibility when you've got that sort of power from uh, from Wilder that someone could get stopped. And uh, so the dynamic changes again. So, yeah, what's the definition of a champion? Come on, let, let's, let's be honest. You've got to have some sort of a belt there, whether it be just the WBC, whether it be all the other um, token straps, wherever it is. But you, you, if, if if you're a champion just by name, we're all champions. You know, I, I I should be ranked about number three in the world for whatever. You know. Yeah. Oh no, you definitely would, mate. To be honest, hundred uh, percent. Um, but yeah, no, I take your point. It's it's like I said, it's like he's okay. Like it doesn't it doesn't devastate him to lose. It doesn't. He's not devastated by it. Where other fighters, great fighters in the past, have been absolutely devastated by losing. You know, they don't leave the house for a week. Or whatever. I remember Josh Warrington. Yeah. Josh Warrington the other week talking about losing to Lara and losing his undefeated record. He said he didn't leave the house. Like he, you know, and then you've got Anthony Joshua just sat at a press conference. He just, he was just sitting there like eating a brownie. He just looked like not bothered. He just looked like he just wasn't bothered by it. Oh, well, you know, oh, we'll come back in the rematch. It just didn't, it didn't seem like it mattered. And I think that's where there is a little bit of, there's a little quit in there in him. There's a little, you know, I, even the the first Ruiz fight, he just it was like, oh, I've been knocked down again. Oh, I'll just you know, it just doesn't seem like desperate. Even when he got stopped, it wasn't like you know Diego Corral is going absolutely fucking batshit. It, it was just like uh, it just doesn't matter. He's, you know, he's obviously a, a top athlete, a, you know, a good fighter. I wouldn't put him past that. He's you know when when the history books are written, just you know unless he has a complete turn turned around and stops Fury and Usyk and Wilder. He's going to be ranked around the Frank Bruno level. And that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Frank Bruno is a loved fighter and was a good fighter. Um, a former world champion. And I think I that's think where... He'll be ranked below Bruno. If you look at Bruno's losses in there, it's, uh, it's Ty Mike Tyson twice. Um, once at uh, an absolute peak and being the first person to, to actually rock him. Um, Tim Witherspoon, bloody good fighter as well. Um, and uh, the, the, the other fight where he lost against... Um, 
uh, Bone Crusher Smith, he was actually yeah. winning the fight by like about eleven rounds, and then just ran out of gas and got got clipped, and uh, and that was it. Mm. So I'll, I'll put Bruno ahead of AJ at the moment. Resume for resume. Forget about how long um you know the belts are being held for. There um you, you got to look at the opponents that are being fought, and uh, you know Bruno. Uh, basically decided to go back in against the likes of uh, Mike Tyson and and, um, and allow Tyson to uh, have a fight with him after he'd been Oliver McCall. There we go, and other names are sort of thrown in the mix. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's testing times for AJ at the moment. Absolutely, um, his bank balance will see him good for a thousand lifetimes, and his his entourage for a few thousand as well. But um, in terms of his legacy that every boxer likes to talk about, yeah, that's that's in quicksand at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, yeah. I he might win the rematch and change everybody's mind, but it it doesn't look like that for now. Um, let's fast forward to this weekend. Uh, you've mentioned Fury and Wilder. Um, I agree with you. Uh, Wilder doesn't look mentally that. He doesn't look that confident. The headphones at the first press conference. It was just like you're you can't because. Tyson Fury is impervious to, to mind games. It doesn't work with him. It's almost like he's so pig ignorant. None of it works. None of it works. It'll just, it doesn't, nothing, and it's it's almost pig ignorance, and I'm saying that in a in the nicest possible way. It's just, it's titanium there. You're not getting in. You're just not getting into his head. Um, so I think the only real question here is, A, what kind of, shape is fury in mentally and physically do you give wilder any shot at all um i think like i said if, if, if you if you've got that sort of power and wilder does have a shitload of power you know you could just look at his knockout record albeit against uh, some uh, pretty shit opposition but um he can knock out an elephant he really can you know but uh um fury is uh, similar to to Usyk. he's not just going to stand there in front of him you know he's able to slip and slide a punch unbelievably well especially for his size so um i think that fury is going to be even more determined to want to make a statement this time and uh, i think he'll impose himself even more I, I i kind of half expect um fury to come in again between that sort of 19 to 20 stone range where he looked really comfortable last time and um and literally throw his weight around and um yeah i i see it going the same way uh, the only chance i think wilder has is by letting the hands go from the very beginning and, uh, and going for broke, at least in that way, he can go out on his shield. Hopefully the shield doesn't weigh too much this time because last time it caused an issue walking in, didn't it? Yeah, uh, I would really like to see him have an entrance like Mike Tyson. Towel over his head, no music, walk in, no excuses, no bullshit, strictly business. Get down to business and, and go and go for the go for the win straight away. Uh, I think you're right. Um, I don't, you know, you look at Fury. Fury's aesthetically, he's never going to look like an Anthony Joshua, he's never going to look like an Adonis. He he is what he is. He's a but he's a brilliant boxer and a fighter. He's both. That's the thing with Fury, you know. And he's absolutely huge. His map, his size, is such a big advantage for him. Whereas you know we've had some tall, really tall fighters in the in the past, and it's worked against the size has worked against them. Um, this isn't the case with Fury. The, the size is such a big part of his. Of his is of his strengths, you know, being taller, being rangy, being heavy, being able to lean on people. You know, he's not like Joshua. He uses he uses everything in his arsenal. He uses his feet, his range, everything. He knows what works for him. Uh, it's tough. It's tough for Wilder. Um, but 
like you said, Wilder has that fight-changing power. He, we saw it in the first fight. He dropped Fury twice. He was getting comprehensively outboxed by Luis Ortiz in the second fight uh, and found a shot. He was nearly stopped against Luis Ortiz in the first fight and found a shot. You know, this is Luis Ortiz who nobody wants to fight. Dylan White never wanted to fight Luis Ortiz, you know. Um, so, and he, you know, he wanted to fight Povetkin when Povetkin was ranked, what, number two, number three by Ring Magazine, and then he failed a drugs test. Wilder's not been out there ducking people. He's just, for, you know, sanctioning bodies and everything else. Um, he's not, he's not been able to get all of the fights that he wanted to. Um, but Wilder could, he could find a shot. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I agree with you, Paul. I think he might. I think Fury might get him out of there. Similar by the halfway mark. Um, did you think Malik Scott is 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 Malik Scott? You know, being added to you know Wilder's corner. Do you think that helps him at all? No, not at all. Um, I mean, uh, uh, he's, he's a sort of wiry sort of um, physique that, um, that 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 Wilder has. Um, Mark Breland was the best thing that ever jumped into um, Deontay Wilder's corner. That wealth of experience was phenomenal. Um, getting rid of him, um, I don't know how much sort of humble pie he would have had to swallow and whether Breland would have ever taken him back, but he's the man that he would have wanted. You know, he was a great, great boxing brain, and he saved his ass from getting even more comprehensively whooped than he already was against uh, Fury, and that's a sign of a good trainer as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, Malik Scott, not really, no. <laughs> I don't think he's a, he's the right person to, in his corner. And um, I, th I think he needs an old-school trainer. I think he needs that discipline there. He, he almost needs that sort of army military discipline in there for someone to sort of really shake him up and say, right, this is how we're going to do things. Wilder likes likes the sound of his own voice a little bit too much, and he likes a bit of the, uh, the hoopla and the jamboree that comes with it. Not to the extent of uh, an Anthony Josh in terms of the numbers of people that go around there, but... Um, he, he, he does like the, uh, the party atmosphere in there and, uh, and I think that seems to have been ever more prevalent ever since he's got rid of Breland and I think that's going to be to his demise mm. I don't see how a guy that you knocked out in a round who fell over from half a shot probably a, you know, half a shot would knock me and you out but you're a professional boxer um, he fell over I don't see how you command that respect in a training camp you fell over in 30 seconds against me five, six years ago. Oh, I want you to be my trainer. That that just, it doesn't make sense. It just strikes as yes man to me. It just strikes as kind of a yes man just to go along with whatever Wilder wants. Um, and I don't think you're going to change Wilder at 35 years of age. He is what he is. He's not a good boxer, but he's just got, f but three things that he has are fight changing power a decent engine and a belief in his power. He believes in his power from round one to round 12. He believes he will find a shot. And I admire him for his self-belief and the belief that he has in himself. Um, but I don't, I don't see it. I don't see a, a change. Probably the more competitive fight this weekend uh, for me is uh, Anthony Fowler and Liam Smith up in Liverpool. Uh, have you done a Liverpool fight night before, Paul? Yeah, I've done a few. I covered a few of Martin Murray's fights up there. And... Right. Um, you know, and uh, did, did a, um, a couple of book uh, signings over there, that Jamie Moore's book and Martin Murray's book. And um, mm. I, lo I love Liverpool. I really do. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the whole area, the scene around there and um, the, the atmosphere, the crowds here are absolutely superb. So uh, I've, I've seen mm. Tony Bellew when he, um, uh, when he was defending his, his cruiserweight brown there. And um, yeah, I've been to a number of fights. Great atmosphere. Love it. Mm. 
The one thing they always say about the Liverpool crowd is that they know they're boxing. They they know their stuff. And I remember the Nathan Cleverly uh Tony Bellew fight, the first one, and uh somebody said, uh, whoever was commentating that night said the crowd I think we think Cleverly's got this and I think the crowd know Cleverly's got this because they, they went very quiet in that final round and I think they knew that Bellew had not, not quite done enough that night. They're a knowledgeable crowd, aren't they? Similar to the Belfast crowd, actually, I, I find. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I remember when uh, Rocky Fielding was fighting against, I think it was um, uh, a lad from North London. I'm getting a bit of a um, brain fuzz here. Uh, John Ryder, there we go. And um, uh, John Ryder and a lot of people's cards basically won the fight. And a uh, similar thing, the, uh, the crowd started going very, very quiet. Um, Rocky got the nod. And uh, I was happy for Rocky because I know him and he's, he's just an absolutely lovely, lovely man. And he didn't sort of, you know, start doing any victory dance, etc. You know, he went over and congratulated uh, Ryder and that was it. But, um, but yeah, sort of about sort of round seven and eight things did start to get a little bit sort of quiet in there. But, um, yeah, I can't remember. I think it might have been that same night. I think it was Bellew um, when, when he won. Um, and he called out David Hay. And I, I was literally a few feet away from when that all kicked off. And he was there going, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this to you and that to you and whatever else. And at the time, you know, it's about 2016. Um, I think he'd just beaten Flores, BG Flor- BJ Flores, who was uh, right, David right, Hay. Yeah. And so at that point, you know, David Hay, everyone's thinking, you know, with his pedigree, God, you know, he's going to absolutely kill Bellews. But then when the fight suddenly appeared, it was, uh, it was a different story. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's a great haven for, uh, for, for the boxing. The, uh, the fans are fiercely loyal. And uh, if you haven't been to the, uh, to the Echo Arena in Liverpool, get down there. You can absorb some true um, Merseyside um, banter. And if you've got a chance to add on an extra day and, uh, and go around and see the, uh, the docks as well. It's, it's certainly well worth it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I've not done Liverpool, but um, it's something I'd like to do, uh, you know, at some point. I've done Manchester and Glasgow and, you know, some of the other fight towns that we have in Belfast. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to the fight this weekend. Anthony Fowler, he's... Uh, I feel like he's been treading water for ages and it still amazes me that he makes 154 pounds he looks far too big for 154 pounds and i remember um matthew macklin saying a couple of years ago now on commentary he needs to move up he'll feel better for moving up like he's he's constantly looks he looks like he's within himself um but this this feels for for fowler the biggest test for him by far far in his career how are you looking forward to this fight this weekend yeah absolutely i mean i, I agree in terms of a uh, size of fowler is a picture of him yesterday and it, it was beyond shredded you know I, I personally like to keep my my veins inside my body but uh, his look literally <laughs> looked like they'd, they'd come out you know it was, uh, he's in phenomenal shape he like he had body fat in, into the minus figures um and yeah, you know, you, you do wonder what would happen if he was able to sort of move move up a weight division and benefit from that sort of extra half a stone. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it it could be a crossroads fight for uh, for either fighter here because uh, Liam Smith, a lot of people has written him off. Uh, he's been in with a much better um, caliber of opponent. He's been world champion, so he can handle all the pressure. Um, but certainly, it looks like he's slowed down in, uh, in in recent fights. Fowler hasn't been that active, but um, you know, he, he packs a lot of power. He's got a good engine um yeah i'm looking forward to it and uh, and in terms of again you're looking at the local area here 
at Liverpool versus Liverpool. It's a great derby. And, uh, you know, the, the place is going to be absolutely roaring down. It'll be, I just hope there's not going to be any fights in the crowd because, you know, you, you are going to have the opposing sort of uh, sides. But um, I think it's a, it's a great way to, um, to headline some of the uh, Echo Arena, have two top fighters from Liverpool. Um, and possibly we could be looking at the passing of the torch here. If I had to tip who's going to win, uh, I know a lot of people are saying at the moment they're sort of leaning towards Smith in terms of experience, um, maybe concentrating too much on that one loss of Anthony Fowler. But I think in the shape he's in, and uh, he just had little babies, got more on the line now. He needs to make sure that he fights for that, for that food on the table and um, and the cow and gate for the kid. So um, I think he's going to go in there with the extra motivation, and um, I think he's going to beat Liam Smith. Yeah, I agree. I do you know what I put it down to size i think i think liam smith i've always kind of labeled joe gallagher fighters as kind of weight cheats not that they're cheats but they tend to be massive at the weight they tend to be really big they tend to really cut down make the weight and then really and then put on a stone and kind of and benefit a lot from that you think scott quigg was like that he used to be absolutely massive at the weight anthony crawler was the only fighter that i could think of callum smith similar massive at super middle um yeah crawler was the only one that i could ever looked at as a of a gallagher fighter and think you're you're a lightweight you should be lightweight you're not this guy that's absolutely huge at the weight and is dining out on that and i think that's liam smith to an extent he's a good fighter but there is a he's a kind of benefit you look at sam eggins and fight he's you know obviously the naturally bigger man than someone like sam eggington and you look at recent records liam smith probably unfortunate to lose his last fight i think it was out in russia um and he's lost he's lost to canelo as well in that time uh oh he lost to hame mungua i forgot all about that um so he's lost a few now smith um i think this is good timing for fowler fowler's fresh you know yes he does he does have the one loss but it wouldn't have been a loss that took a lot off of him. And I just think younger, fresher, and the most important thing, Fowler's the bigger man in there. Yeah, I think he's going to be the bigger man in there. He's a lot taller, and I think he's going to be the bigger man. And I think he might even get Smith out of there. Yeah, it takes a lot to stop Smith, but we know he can be stopped. And, um, uh, you know, not saying that uh, comparing Fowler with, with Canelo, but... Um, mm. By opening him up, he was able to sort of, you know, land one to the body in there. So there's that vulnerability. Mm. But I, I think that Fowler will do it on points. I think it will just be uh, his engine, which will see him through. Uh, I think that Smith will be a bit too wily for him to, to open up and allow Fowler to drop the um, the hammer on him. But you never know. I, I put him, you know, put Fowler as the, uh, the heavy handed of the two, heavier handed of the two in there. Um, but yeah, I'd go, I'd go Fowler um, on points, not a complete blitz out but um but a convincing performance to make him win it by two or three rounds yeah yeah I, i'd go with that i'd go with that that seems that seems probably like the like the most most likely result you know like i said before it's a big it's a big step up for fowler i don't think he's boxed anyone that's boxed at smith's level before he's not this is a big step up for him but i think it's the right step up at the right time is it, it just feels like with him Similar to Joshua Brazzi, treading water for too long against guys that shouldn't be in the ring with him, really. Um, so there's, yeah, I th I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be good on the zone uh, this weekend. Yeah, um, I just hope there's um, some good. You've got a good undercard in there with. Uh, yeah, tell uh, us about uh, it. Yeah, you've got Cheeseman Troy, Troy Williamson as well, which uh, you know it's a great fight, and um, 
Cheeseman, if you look at his resume and who he's beaten, you know, beat Sam Eggington mm. and, you know, who came off probably the fight of the year for mm. the UK. And um, so, yeah, that, that Troy Rillinson fight, I think that, that could be an absolute barn burner. Um, certainly one to watch. Um, it could even be the, the most exciting fight of the night, actually. Um, so, yeah, you kind of never know what to expect with, with, with Cheeseman. If he's in just above his neck, in terms of experience, and he really struggles, like he did against Garcia. But if he's against a good domestic mm-hmm. opponent, which is here, you you, you can see um, you could something get a British classic. So I'm hoping that's what it's going to be. And uh, who's going to win it? It could pretty much be a pick and fight after three rounds. You sort of might get a feel of where it's going. I'd probably go for Cheeseman, um, but uh, but who knows? Really looking forward to that one. But another one I'd just like to mention is um, mm-hmm. Natasha Jonas. So. In terms of matchmaking, I don't know what, what's happening in her sort of personal life or boxing mm-hmm. life or whatever it may be, but you look at her, her previous two fights. She she draws against Terry Harper uh, on a split decision back in Matchroom HQ in, in the middle of COVID last year. And I actually thought she did enough to nick that, actually. She was a more mm-hmm. aggressive fighter and um, thought she'd done really well. And Terry Harper was hardly sort of bouncing up and down like, she, you know, she knew she'd won it. But she was certainly dubious to the fact. And um, so she gets a split decision there. And then... Um, she fights against Katie Taylor at the Manchester Arena in May of this year. And again, it wasn't a landslide. It was, there was only uh, both judges, uh, sorry, two judges had um, Katie Taylor winning it by one round and one judge had Taylor winning it by two. So, uh, and then all of a sudden she's fighting like kind of like bottom of the bill almost as uh, to be arranged. And you think to yourself, uh, why is this lady? Cause she, you know, the, Natasha Jonas is no, no spring chicken now. She's, uh, she's 37 years old. She should be, in there fighting for another world title again um she's just done two back to back and now she should be having another go at, i don't know another piece of the um the alphabet soup in there so but instead she's fighting for to be arranged and i don't think any fight of any sort unless it's for a title at the moment she's going to do anything apart from clock up mileage that she unnecessarily needs to get mm. i've always wanted to see her fight delphine Passoon. i i think those two at super Fever is a brilliant fight I think those two would be great. Persoon's known over here because she's boxed Katie Taylor twice, but Persoon's not not a lightweight. She said to herself after the second fight, after the second Katie Taylor fight, I'm not a lightweight. I need to be back at Super Fever. Jonas and Persoon at Super Fever, I think would be a cracking fight on a perhaps a box office undercard, something like that. I think that would be brilliant. And I think that would it'd be one of those that deserves three minute rounds, to be honest. I think that would be really, really good. Um, I think you're right about Jonas. I think she deserves a rematch with Harper. I think she should have got a rematch with Harper straight away. They had a draw. In <laughs> You've drawn, so let's have a rematch. It just seems so obvious um, that they should have had a rematch. But, you know, I, I, I doubt very much that Jonas said, no, I don't want another world title fight against Terry Harper. That doesn't make sense. It can only be that Terry Harper thought, I've got better options going elsewhere. I know she was looking to unify at one point, but that kind of fell out of bed back in may i'm not sure what's going on with her next um i don't know if she's going to enter the world boxing super series because that was supposed to be around that weight class in the women's division that's all gone a bit quiet actually the world boxing super series not heard much about that i don't know about you paul have you heard much about that i have no i, I think it's partly also dependent on the whole sort of covid situation again um because there's still vulnerabilities out there the um the the, the coronavirus curve um in terms of cases and deaths is is still increasing in certain countries and um there's any spikes at all then everything is put in jeopardy so uh it's um 
it's a tough one. I mean, you know, but you got to remember that only in March last year, um, breeders were supposed to be fighting Dortikos, I think, and I was supposed to be going to that in uh, in Latvia, and that's only last year. We're in October now. I'm just talking, you know, March last year. But during that eighteen months that we're looking back on there, uh, an unbelievable amount has happened within the world of boxing, um, and in terms of uh, attendance, an unbelievable amount has happened there as well. So, I. I cannot wait for that World Boxing Super Series of the ladies to kick off. I really can't. It's long overdue and it'll get rid of a lot of crap. I'm, I don't mean like shitty boxers, just a lot of Mickey Mouse titles and it'll start showing the best of the best within ladies and it'll get get them more marketable um, traction and it'll get them more financial traction as well. And that's that's what they need right now. Yeah, anything that can get, you know, these top women boxers that we have, you know, that can get them exposure, that can get them you know on big cards is obviously good for the for the women's for the women's division uh because we know people like Pasoon and jonas and taylor because of people because of taylor um so it'll be good to see it'll be good to see a, a tournament but around that weight class around that super feather lightweight kind of weight class where you know you can you can get some get get all the belts in have a undisputed champion because that's what you want really coming out of a of a world boxing super series we've seen it already with the cruiserweights um let's hopefully we can see it again very soon um but i think that'll do paul that'll do thank you so much for your time thank you very much for having me on cal and um i hope you have a cracking weekend and uh, bring on the fights yeah yes bring on the fights indeed all right thanks for that take care Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.